This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. Here we are on a beautiful Saturday morning in downtown Fresno. And our guest today is Mr. Craig Barton of Valley Wide Homes. Thanks for having me, Don. Valley Wide Lending and Homes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Craig, Craig has been in the business for many years. Uh, started off as a loan officer in 93. Yep. Yep. Four years later, got your sales license, mm-hmm. and now you do both, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that a little hard to do both? No, not at all. Okay. It's, <laughs> it, it's hard work. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but but you're smart enough to cover the uh, task. No, Don, Don, you can't you can't you can't pin that one on me. <laughs> I okay. just try hard. There you go. And actually, there a good real estate agent knows has to know lending. Yeah, quite a bit about lending. They really have to have their handles. Uh, you know, I, I talk to, I have about 14 agents that work for me, and we really stress to them that understanding the lending piece, obviously they can't quote rates, uh, but understanding the lending piece is a super, super important part because it makes them a better resource. Um, you know, being able to, uh, or not being able to answer those questions and saying, hey, you need to go talk to your lender, um, that's a disadvantage, I believe, as far as agents go. Yeah. And, and you know, and one of the advantages of being an agent is you get to know your client. You mm-hmm. get to know what they're after. And I remember many years ago I had a client who um, I'd been showing her homes and, and had her set up to to get into this, well, it was the old Chaffalone. Yeah, right. Um, kind of a lower interest rate than your typical FHA loan, uh, but it was a fixed rate 30-year loan, yep. which w- would have been nice for this person who was – Getting close to retirement age, and it would have fixed her home payments in. She ended up changing lenders, went somewhere else, and got into an FHA adjustable. This is back, yeah. Oh, wow. And, you know, even though FHA's adjustable wasn't too crazy, like some of the conventionals, it still adjusted upwards on her, and she couldn't handle the payments. Yep. Not one for certainty, that's for sure. Yeah, but... That, and I think I, I still get mad at that loan officer when I think about it. But but it's like maybe that person didn't know all the, didn't take the time to know everything about that client. That client did not have upward mobility as far as her income was concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, get, getting to know the the client is really mm-hmm. important from a lending basis too absolutely there's so much that needs to go into it um i, I don't want to say it's all the way up to and including a psychological profile but man you really you've really got to understand your client like you said upward mobility as far as income is concerned because the last thing you want to do is put them into a product that isn't uh, you know there there's going to be a limit as far as their income is concerned concerned if you put them into an adjustable uh, which we see very, very rarely nowadays. Um, yeah. Now, now you say products, so tell us about that. How the, there's so many different loan products. You know, for for quite some time after the market crashed, um, after 2000, you know, the beginning of the crash starting in 2007, um, it was very, very vanilla. Um, there was a website that you could go on, and it was called Implodometer, and uh, you could see all the. Uh, 
uh, every single day that there was a mortgage company that closed, and they would add that mortgage company to the top of the uh, the website. So you, you had to go scroll farther down to see who were some of the first ones to go. Well, obviously that also that also meant uh, a uh, a tightening of lending guidelines, and as far as products are concerned, we got very, very vanilla, uh, conventional FHA. Even those products got uh, tighter as far as guidelines are concerned. And what we've seen, and I'm generalizing, but once we've seen over the last five years is that there has been a gradual um, loosening as far as lending guidelines are concerned. What we've also seen is the secondary market has begun to bring back the 12 months bank statements, uh, the 24 months bank statements, the stated income products, not as aggressive as what we saw prior to 2007 because the loan to values on those products were super high. Uh, you could do an 80, 20, 100% stated with no skin in the game, and that created a whole lot of artificial demand that I, I believe ultimately helped to cause that market crash because prices went up so fast because the demand was there, and those people probably shouldn't have had access. And what was even worse yet is that they had access to a product that would, like you were just talking about with that client, that would potentially adjust. And they were expecting that, you know, hey, down the road, uh, we'll have the equity, we can refinance, we can combine our first and our second together. And if it was a two-year adjustable in two years, they didn't have the equity, and worse yet, they were underwater, and their mortgage was adjusting, and they're like, I'm out. <laughs> so on its own, um, a stated income loan isn't so bad, it, as long as you have something in it, that skin in the game. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. if the lender says you got to have 25% down, mm-hmm. right? and then we're going to go easy on your tax returns because we realize you just started your business. Well, we're not going to review your tax returns at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it, But... Is that buyer going to walk away from 25% now? That's that's where I think the market will. Hopefully the market's smart enough and the secondary market's smart enough to understand that you've got to have skin in the game. And that that was a huge part of the problem initially is that too many people didn't have skin in the game. And now it's 20 to 25%, whether it's a stated income product or a 12 or 24-month bank statement product. So it's uh, uh, people aren't going to walk from 20 Right. I, I tend to say that the... Um, problem that we had 12, 15 years ago was the bundled loan. And what I mean by that is they bundled these exotic features, Mm -hmm. you know, stated income, which is no limited documentation or no documentation, adjustable rate mortgages with negative amortization, and they would bundle those together along with no money down, along with cash out refi. You put those four things together. And that's a toxic loan, yeah, not that, an exotic loan. It's a loan. toxic pool of loans that doesn't perform eventually and didn't perform eventually. Yeah. And um, I've heard it said many, many times that no money down <clears throat> on its own is fine. Yeah. Look, look at the VA loans. Right. They're right. A, uh, that's a good performing loan. Absolutely. It's one of the best, absolute, absolutely one of the best uh, mortgage products out there for active duty um, uh, or retired uh, veterans. It's a great, great product. Why is that, that um, veterans don't walk away from those loans? Is, do they, if they bail on VA, mm-hmm. do they lose their other benefits too? I don't know that they, I don't know that they would lose their other benefits, um, but it, it does affect their eligibility for, uh, you know, for a VA loan in the future. That's for mm-hmm. sure. All right. So, um, 
a lot of people, there's a lot of talk about getting pre-qualified mm-hmm. or pre-approved. Tell us the difference. Well, the, the first thing that we have to understand is, is that you can call it whatever you want to call it. Pre-qualified, credit pre-qualified, pre-approved, bottom line. And, and we've been seeing, as we were talking before we came on the air, we've been seeing, I have specifically seen, I had one of my, one of my realtors come to me a couple of weeks ago and brought me a pre-approved letter that was, a pre-approval letter that was submitted with the buyer's offer, and it said credit pre-approved. So you had to dig a little bit deeper as far as the letter was concerned. And then it had some boxes down middle of the, of the pre-approval letter, and it checked those boxes that the lender had verified. Well, credit was the only box that it had checked. And at the very top of the letter, it said credit pre-qualified. Well, I've seen it before because I've sat down with with a number of consumers over the years that um, have gone to a lender, got credit pre-approved, but the lender didn't verify income, didn't verify assets or cash to close. Um, And it's a a real sticky slope because they had no idea as far as what the payment would be. Um, They also had no clue that, that whether their income would actually float the boat as far as them qualifying for this mortgage. Um... So um, I'd say the bi- the biggest and most important thing that, that buyers need to do is is sit down um, and make sure that you do get yourself pre-approved. Getting pre-approved, like we were talking about, isn't a sexy thing uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Your brain does not produce the same chemicals that it does when you and your wife say, hey, let's let's go and start looking for some properties, or hey, I found this home, let's drive by it today, or better yet, let's call the agent and let's set up a showing today. I mean, that's that's amazing. The chemicals chemicals that are produced by your brain um, do an amazing thing as far as our attitude and our overall you know our overall overall perspective on things um, but getting pre-approved not mm. the same effect whatsoever <clears throat> well I know why <laughs> look, looking at homes is visual yeah absolutely yeah and it, it, it creates more excitement um, and emotion absolutely absolutely. Um, yeah, but getting pre-qualified, that's numbers. No, it just, does, it just doesn't doesn't feel good at all. But I, I think it's such a huge part of the process. You know, not trying to oversimplify things, but it's the first part or the first brick in the foundation that you need to set um, with your loan officer. And it's what I tell all of my agents is I want my agents involved, especially if they're utilizing Valleywide for financing. I want them involved in the pre-approval process because they need to understand. It is for the buyer. It, we don't have any buy, I've never had a buyer say, no, I don't want my agent in with the pre-approval process. Um, but you understand that you're burying your soul. I mean, it's everything that you have as far as credit's concerned, your intent to pay, your ability to pay, um, your desire to pay over the last how many years. They're going to see it all. But the agents need to understand what the buyers have to go through as far as that process is concerned. I'd say probably only about 40% of the buyers that we sit down with today are actually ready to go. And it might even be less than that. There's something that they need to do to prepare, whether it's cash to close. And cash to close is one of the hardest, but one of the most common. Uh, credit is another piece of the puzzle. Sometimes there's credit that has to be dealt with, um, whether it's a collection or a judgment or uh, a tax lien or something like that. Um, credit and what gets reported to your credit report, it's not a fine science. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know what you mean about burying your soul. Yeah. <laughs> well, I bought my first home when I was 24, and I remember going in there, and I had a like an $80 collection to yeah. PG&E yeah. On, on my report. And I remember that loan officer looking at me, 
why didn't you pay that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I looked at him and I go, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> all right. You know, I was 24 years old. Hey, we do those kind of right, things at right, that age. Right, right, right. You know, so uh, not he, always do we make good choices. Yeah, he said, well, "You get in there and you pay that." <laughs> yeah. I said, "Yes, sir." And I remember standing in line thinking, "This is dumb. Yeah. Why? Why would I be that way?" <laughs> right. You know, it would have been a lot easier just, just to pay it when I got the bill. Exactly. Right. right. Got to pay it anyway. So exactly. uh, anyway. Uh, Burying your soul, that was a little bit embarrassing for me. Absolutely. So I don't know why I'm telling everybody about it years later. Same thing. <laughs> don't feel bad, Don. Same thing happened to me. I had like a $200 balance on a, on a federally insured student loan that will stop you, by the way, um, uh, from getting uh, an FHA loan. It, it will absolutely stop you. And the loan officer, same thing, came to me and said, hey, you, you've got this balance on a student loan. I said, well, um, I paid it off. Well, it just so happened that there was a trailing bill, and I moved somewhere, and I didn't give them my forwarding. I had paid the student loan off. There was a balance of like under 200 bucks. Next thing you know, the loan officer is saying, well, this, is, this could be a real, real problem. So you need to – so I provided proof that I had, I had written a check for $2,100 or whatever it was and um, letter of explanation. And fortunately, it was my first home purchase, and this was 1995, you know, almost 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. When we get back from our commercial break, let's talk a little bit about that emotional part about buying a home sure. and, uh, and the sustainability of it. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio on 940 ESPN. back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scardino, your host, and here in the studio with me, helping me today, is Craig Barton of Valley Wide Homes. Uh, Craig not only sells many homes, but uh, also, I guess, from your lending background, you have stayed in that. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Absolutely love it. I love what you said earlier, though, about how looking at homes sets off more chemicals in your brain, gets you more excited oh, absolutely. than actually getting pre-qualified. It is no myth. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually science behind that statement. Well, and it's an easy one, too, because I even figured out why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a home is the American dream. Absolutely. Um, and a home is something people dream about. Home ownership is something people dream about. Sure. So, um, uh in, in like the bumper music we just had, Miranda Lambert singing yeah. The House That Built Me. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the house that I grew up in yeah. and all the events that happened there that kind of builds your character. Good or bad, um, whatever we experience uh, growing up in the, the house that our parents had, um, you know, and I say good or bad because for some of us it, there could be a little bit more bad than good. Um, but it uh, it's very formative. There's uh, it's one of those things that's passed on from generation to generation. That owning your own home it's a big deal. It really is. My cousins who live in Italy, they um, he said that that uh, a home that he still owns he ha- he turned it into a little uh, street museum now. Oh wow! But, but anyway, that's been in his family four hundred years. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and. Um, they don't live in it anymore, but yeah. it, it, you know, he, there's no way they're going to sell that. Right, right. Talk about history, huh? Yeah. 
and you do learn things, good and bad. I remember when I was a teenager, um, my mom uh, struggled with the house payment, and we almost lost it. Yeah. We we actually went into the foreclosure process, yeah. and we were down to the last week or two. But she taught us something. Wow! You don't give up. Yeah, right. You don't quit. And she bailed it out. Yeah. And to this day, my sister still owns that house. Oh my God! So it, it's part of the that generational thing. Right. Absolutely. Um, but it, it was an it was an opportunity to exp- to teach something to her kids right yeah I, I say it's always it's all those things that you can't see touch and feel that you can't hold in your hands um, yes a house is something that's very tangible um, obviously you know if it's stick built and you know there's all sorts of materials that go into it but um, it's all those things within the home that are taught that you can't see touch and feel mm-hmm. all right so um what are the things that that you coach your buyers to look for in a home? Wow. Um, you know, first and foremost, obviously the most obvious. Is there an area that you want to live in? Is there an area that you want your kids uh, to live in? So location. Yeah, location. Um, uh, second thing that's that's almost as important is price point. Uh, we, we definitely stress to folks that we don't want you to go in and be house poor. And the example I use is we don't want you to close escrow and you're super excited and uh, the best you can afford is uh, rabbit ears on your television and you're sitting on a milk crate eating Top Ramen. Uh, don't want you to be in that kind of position. Because sometimes you'll get a little carried, or some borrowers or buyers will get carried away, genuinely get carried away. And we need to throttle them back and make sure that uh, we don't want them to overspend, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's mortgage payment, purchase price, and obviously there's a, a huge correlation there. But we don't want them to, to overspend and put themselves into a bad spot. All because they got excited about the granite countertops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it doesn't make it all. Um, and I'm sure you've had this situation before where you get buyers that you're trying to help out. Maybe they're comparing two or three different homes. Mm-hmm. And it's isn't it a little bit difficult but necessary to help them get the right priorities out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Not always. Um, I, I, I think you see it more so, um, not that there's not real-world examples, but when you turn on HGTV and you see those folks, and my wife and I, my wife and I sit there and we'll watch those shows, uh, Property Brothers is an example, and we start heckling the TV, and, and because we both have a good sense of humor, and we start heckling the TV, the wife says, oh, no, that color just won't work. It's like, okay, <laughs> you can change the color, lady. Come on now. In other words, don't get, don't get hung up on the things. People get in their way. Way too often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a realtor, how do you help counsel or, or coach a client who can't decide between two houses? One has all the glitz and glamour. The other one has the good location, the good price. But they're hung up on that glitz and glamour. Yeah. I think all you can do is um, you can you just have to continually dial down things. Um, payment. Um, amount of cash. If there's, if there's, let's say all things being equal, um, the payment's the same, the amount of cash to close is the same because they're both the same price point. Um, then you've got to really focus on uh, location, mm-hmm. kids, uh, commute as far as work is concerned. Is that, um, you know, is there a substantial difference between either of those? Um, you've just got to help talk them off the ledge and help them uh, make a, a conscious decision. Not all buyers are really great critical thinkers, and so you have to go through and create the mental checklist for them 
and talk them through it. And sometimes that's the best part of your job or it's the best the best thing that you can do is talking them through that and becoming their I hate to say your psychologist, but oftentimes we counselor. Yeah, we we uh, we are a counselor. We are a coach. There's many things, many hats that we wear in the in the process. Mm-hmm. It, and it ultimately comes down to the uh, home buyer's decision whether sure. to buy or not. And I remember I was helping my aunt out, and uh, we walked into this one place, and I was ready to turn around and walk back out because no way is right. this the right one, right, right? Right. From what she told me, she wanted. Mm-hmm. That was 30 years ago. She bought she, it, she, and, and she still been, lives there. It's been a home for 30 years. So right. We, we have to be careful. It's, such a, it's so interesting that you bring that point up because we really do have to be careful not to get in our client's way as well because I have, I have to be honest, same experience and a, a number of times where I'm making that decision for the buyer right when you walk in the front door or as soon as you get, um, uh, as soon as you get uh, into the driveway and the wife says, oh, my gosh, I love it. Mm-hmm. And here I'm thinking the opposite. There's no way. No, 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 no. There's, okay, well, at that point, you just got to get out of their way and let them. Now, granted, we, we're still responsible for counseling them and helping them to make a real solid decision with regards to what are the shortcomings of, of the property. Are there inspections that we believe that need to be done because of the age of the roof or the age of the septic or whatever it is, just to make sure that we protect themselves from themselves. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. And knowing what you're buying is very important. Absolutely. And that's part of managing the expectations, Mm -hmm. which is what a good counselor does, probably what a psychologist does in in another field. Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, Get those expectations down. And, and, you know, with a home inspection, just because a home inspector finds a flaw or a defect doesn't mean the buyer is going to ask the seller to do it. But at least the buyer knows. Absolutely. And they have, they, it, obviously, you and I both know it has to be disclosed. And they have to acknowledge the fact that they understand. You know, the Department of Real Estate makes it very, very clear. They want you to make sure that the consumer acknowledges on whatever report that I fully and completely understand that this repair is not being done and that I am taking responsibility for it because that's the way we protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, Speaking of inspections, which ones to buy a home? Mm-hmm. What what are the most important ones? Well, first one, starting off with a home inspection, obviously that's a big deal. Um, I would tell every, and we tell every buyer, um, and we coach our agents to tell every buyer, you have to get a home inspection. I, and and if you've got someone in the family that's skilled in some trades or what have you, that's great. But don't skimp, whether it's spending three or $350, depending upon the size of the home or the location of the home. That's not something that you want to skimp on. It really isn't. And then based upon those findings, well, then you take it from there as far as additional inspections. Um, are you on a well, a private well? Are you on a private septic? Um, do you need to go down that road and have uh, the uh, uh, well test performed so that it determines the production as well as, well as water potability? Um, if you're on your own septic and a house has been there for 30 years and the current owners live there for 15 and they haven't, they don't remember uh, pumping the septic, well, it's probably going to be a good idea to spend an additional 350 bucks to have the septic checked and pumped. Now, that could be the buyer's responsibility. It could be the seller's responsibility. Everything's negotiable in a real estate transaction. So technically, you could have the seller pay the home inspection? 
Well, as far as you don't find it commonly mm-hmm. done that way where a seller pays for a home inspection, uh, but you could ask the seller to pay for um, uh, you could ask the seller to pay for uh, an HVAC inspection. You could ask the seller to pay for really any inspection. You just don't see it customarily done that, the, that a buyer would ask the seller to pay for a home inspection. Yeah. And I like the idea of the buyer paying for and hiring their own home inspector because then it's somebody they've chosen absolutely. and they're going to trust. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Who knows? Maybe that home inspector, the seller pick for you, is their cousin. Right. <laughs> their cousin, or and, and there's a, a ton of great home inspectors here in the Central Valley, um, but you know some you trust more than others, and uh, a buyer, and this is what I tell buyers, a buyer may think that there's a little larceny going on or a little larceny in the transaction, and thinking, especially if the the seller has paid for. Uh, the home inspection, or paid for the home inspection up front, um, get a second opinion, especially if you think that there's something that's egregious or something that's wrong. Um, You've got to dive deeper. You've got to do more inspections. Okay, we've been talking with Craig Barton of Valley Wide Homes, and we are going to come back and do more after this next commercial break. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio with me is Craig Barton, the broker owner of Valley Wide Homes, and um, got 20-something years experience. Yeah, I've been in it for a while. been in lending since 93, and then got my salesperson's license in uh, 97, and uh, opened up Valley Wide in 2000. All right. So you know a thing or two because you've seen a thing. <laughs> I've seen a few things, Don, for the 32 <laughs> minutes that I've been in business. Yeah. <laughs> all right. In today's market, and here's in all that time you've been in it, mm-hmm. it's easy to say that no two markets are alike. Oh, no. Absolutely. You know, the geography of, of the market is one thing, and, you know, you, you've got so many variables that play into as far as demand's concerned, interest rates, inventory. Um, it's, um, yeah, never a dull moment. And who the predominant buyer is changes, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, like, in the 90s, uh, the predominant buyer was the first-time home buyer. Right, right. Um, around 2010, your predominant buyer was the investor. Yep. So who's the predominant buyer in 2019? Yeah, I think it's the move-up buyer. It's the move-up buyer that's uh, that's owned their home for, you know, six to ten years. That's um, got a considerable amount of equity if they purchased their their home between 2009 and now, and had uh, a fully amortized loan. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. It wasn't negatively amortized. Uh, yeah, I think those are the predominant. It's the move up buyer. And granted, there's so much when you look. It's interesting you bring that up because when you look at the landscape of real estate here in the Central Valley with building, um, b- new build, new construction is just on fire. But you don't see back in, and I, I go back to when I purchased my first home in, in two thousand, or excuse me, nineteen ninety five. Um, you could we bought a Centex home out in Sunnyside, and we paid one oh six for it, fifteen hundred and thirty. Was that just the land? No, <laughs> right, right, fifteen hundred and twenty three square feet, four bedroom, uh, two bath. Um, you don't see many of those opportunities, and I say you don't, at least from my vantage point, because. 
you know, you see a 1,500 or a 1,300 square foot home, new construction, the price point's way up there. And that's tough. That's not really an opportunity for somebody, first-time home buyer, you know, just got a job, wife's uh, finishing up school, what have you. Um, that's not really, I don't know, financially feasible for someone like that. Those first-time home buyers that are looking at that price point, they've got a, they're going to be kind of an infill buyer that's going to buy, buy in different zip codes in Fresno um, where they can get a purchase price of uh, you know, 225 to 275 something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be hard, though, to be a move-up buyer because what do you do first? Do you sell your home first right. then buy or it's, do you do them at the it's same the, time? It's the ultimate conundrum. Um, I've got clients that I'm representing right at the moment, and um, not just selling one home, but selling two homes. Um, and that's so difficult. Uh, that's like landing two 747s yeah, at the same time. At the time. same time, right. It's so, so hard because you want to make sure that they put their best foot forward. You want to make sure that, just like they want to make sure, that they've got a place to go. It's it's hard to manage those expectations. Um, they almost have to, which in this particular situation they have, they almost have to lose out in a bidding war. And I say a bidding war, or let's say in, in our situation, our first offer that we submitted, there was four offers. Well, they each had a home to sell because they're combining their households. Writing an offer contingent upon the sale of two properties is, in all my years, it's not something that I've ever, ever done. Um, it happens a lot in this market, but at the very minimum, you've got to make sure that if you're trying to, to pull the trigger on that, we want the seller to understand that, um, and we put this directly in multiple listing, the buyer, this the sale of this home is contingent on the buyer um, cooperating with the seller finding a suitable replacement property, whether that's uh, a longer escrow. The, the sellers don't want to rush, pure and simple. They don't want to rush. They don't want to be forced into making a bad decision or forced into settling, worse yet, on a property that they really don't want. So how does that work? If um, the seller says, I'll sell my house, mm-hmm. but I'm going to maintain that contingency that I won't close escrow Correct. unless I find something I like. Well, there's a lot of negotiating that goes on behind the scenes with uh, with myself or any any good agent, any listing agent, um, and the buyer's agent, and making sure that everybody knows up front. As long as everybody's communicating, and you don't have a buyer that, um, hey, you know, we've got to be out of our our lease by you know the end of May. Well, that's going to be tough because the seller's going to feel pressured. So do you have any way that you can work with the seller? Can you move in with family? You know, can you extend your, your lease month to month with your landlord in order to facilitate that and make it happen? I would think, and I'd like to hear your response to yeah. this one, I would think that if a seller puts that in there, that, hey, uh, you know, it's contingent on me finding a replacement right. home, that that's going to lower the appeal and marketability. You would think, but I think it's going to be dependent upon the property. It's dependent upon the location of the property that you're selling. It's dependent upon the amenities, how you price the property. Uh, You take all those things into consideration, and you'd be surprised. Um, In our situation, I've got a listing in Clovis. Um, It's a great little house, actually in a PUD behind a gate. And uh, in the first Roughly two weeks, we had literally 12 showings. We had eight offers. Um, we were priced right as far as the market's concerned and made it very, very clear to everybody, we need we need your flexibility because my seller needs a place to go. All right. 
I had some buyers who, uh, sellers and buyers, they said, let's sell first, or excuse me, yeah, let's sell first, and then um, they had a, um, a houseboat. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> they could that move they were, the houseboat, yeah. Yeah, yeah they yeah. were going to do it, so they had a plan B. Absolutely. And that also involved they were going to rent storage mm-hmm. or, or get some of those pods. Right. Um, and as it turned out, it, it um, they didn't have to. So they, they were selling a really nice place, super sharp. Um, a buyer came along and said, I'll, you know, I'll let you stay even after close right. of escrow. Right. That's best case, man. Um, okay, let, let's explore that one for a little bit. The seller rent back. Mm-hmm. How so did this, that work? Well, in this particular situation, uh, we had two of the uh, offers that were submitted were investors, and uh, both had agreed uh, to do a rent back to the seller for a six month term, um, which is phenomenal. It gives them so you have a forty, let's say a forty five day escrow, and then upon close, you've got a, another an additional six months. And you would think this time of the year, with as much real estate that moves here in the Central Valley. That you'd be able to, with basically seven months and seven and a half months, be able to find a suitable replacement property, and then it's the term of the uh, the term of the rent back um, is six months maximum, month to month, with a thirty day notice to be able to cancel. Simple. Okay, and the uh, the other good part is they have now closed their escrow, so when they make an offer, it's not contingent. Yeah, so they they become a prime buyer. Absolutely, I'd say, and what I said earlier, just to make just to make sure that I clarify, when I said you almost have to lose out on an offer with those buyers if if they need something contingent, and I'm not saying that because, okay, yeah, I am. I, the, the, they need to feel that that pain point because if they just think, well. The market's going to tell them exactly how this is going to work. The market is always the muscle. The market is going to educate them real quickly. And for them to feel that pain point, it can be a good thing because it can change their perspective. It can change their mindset in terms of what they want to accomplish, meaning that, listen, just like your clients did, okay, our plan is we're going to sell, we're going to put some stuff in some po- some storage, some pods, and then we're going to stay on our houseboat until we, and because we know that when the right house comes along. The next best house is always the next best house. And when it comes along, we want to be able to pull the trigger with a clean offer, no contingencies, um, with confidence. Okay. Now, I'm picking your brain here, actually, Craig. <laughs> so Careful, that's slim pickings, Don. <laughs> so how do you help counsel a, a, a buyer who falls in love with a place, yeah. thinks it's the only home that will ever be good, and they lose out on, yeah. in a multiple offer. Um, you know, you said you said the term earlier, managing the expectations. I think you just have to manage the ex, do your very best of managing the expectations with that client, and make sure that they understand. Hopefully, you're a little bit deeper into the process. Hopefully, it's not the first home. Hopefully, they've submitted some offers before and they've felt that pain point of, um, you know, maybe there was something about their offer that wasn't as strong as it could have been. Um, you know, hopefully they've got a little, they've got a few, they've got a little experience under their belt, so it makes it easier for you because they become far more pliable with more experience. Mm-hmm. First house, you, you've really got to put your counselor hat on, and you, you know, first house that they look at and they love, and oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm going to expire if I don't get this house. Uh, you've got your work cut out for you, but it can be done. 
And in making the offers, listen to your realtor, too, Absolutely. for advice. Um, in making a good good offer, there was one, um, I, I helped my client out. It, it, it was a nice home over by Fresno State. It was tenant-occupied. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, when you walked into the kitchen, it had the most wonderful, beautiful refrigerator. Yeah. But my first thought is, what well, might be the tenants? Right. Because it's sure. tenant-occupied. Right. Um, anyway, there were five offers. We were the we got accepted because the listing agent pointed out that the uh, the other four offers all included the refrigerator, the right? Which my, was a deal killer. Yeah, my buyer wanted it too, and you know, but we talked a lot about that, like, hey, but wasn't willing to lose it over the fridge, right? <laughs> and it was funny because they did pick our offer because they felt it was a well-written offer that would probably close escrow because they thought that one through right about right, the refrigerator right, right. not belonging to the owner now, if it belonged to the homeowner then um still you don't know that it wasn't a wedding present or something right, so, absolutely. It has emotional value so probably a good idea in a multiple offer situation keep the personal property out of it right absolutely don't ask your this is what we uh, i preach to my agents don't ask your way out of getting your offer accepted because it can literally be over a fridge that causes you not to get it and uh, another good thing is you probably picked up the phone and had a conversation with the listing agent and said so talk to talk me through this just uh, out of curiosity as far as the fridge goes so is that personal property the tenant is it a personal you know what's the situation um or you may have had other conversations and not even brought the fridge into it because you thought it's just best not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Communication is really key in between the two cooperating brokers. Absolutely. And how do you cooperate if you don't communicate? Absolutely. I think it's so easy nowadays to uh, get caught up in, and, and I'm, I'm just as guilty as the next guy. You know, it's so easy to text. It's so easy to email. Mm-hmm. Um I would say text is it's so much easier to text, but you have to be careful. You really need to pick up the phone and call, and they need to hear your voice, and you need to hear their voice, um, and you need to establish a relationship with that agent. If if it's not this deal, it might be the next deal, and you need to have a relationship with that agent. So don't get so caught up. I have agents that will call up um, on a listing, and, and uh, they'll just want to rush right into it. My first question is, so how are you doing? <laughs> And well, uh, uh, they're kind of taken back because uh, you know who knows? I don't know. They do they text mainly, but um, and they kind of oh, uh, good, thanks. Well, good, awesome. So what can I do for you? There you go. And people remember that openness and friendliness. Absolutely. So they'll want to work with Craig Ab- Barton. Absolutely. You know, people, agents specifically, too often forget that my dealings with you right now, like I said, it may not be this deal or the next deal, but you're preparing for some someday in the future for the opportunity to work together with that agent. So make sure that you understand that, you know, keep it on the positive side, keep it professional, keep it ethical. Um, too many agents, I think, are short-sighted, and they just think that this is a one-off, that I'll never have to work with you. I'm sorry, but you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, you will. And you will probably go, oh, shoot. You know, when you see that client text you and says, hey, we want to see this uh, listing over on Tealman. Can we see that today? And you pull it up, and you go, oh, shoot, it's Craig. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that kind of stuff does does, does happen. happen. So it, it's good to keep that good reputation. Absolutely, absolutely. We do have to go to another commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino and uh, your host, along with Craig Barton of Valley Wide Homes. And, hey, baseball season is off and running. Uh, they're now, what, 14, 15 games into the season. Yep. And so, therefore, our music. Put yeah. me in, Coach. <laughs> I'm ready to play. There you go. I I got to admit, I love baseball. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, even more than real estate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, boy. don't let it get out, Don. <laughs> <laughs> Might be my last show after if that gets out. <laughs> but but then I could always become a baseball announcer. Hey, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. We were talking about doing a um, a, a contingency sale. Now, so you ha- you have a home, you're living in one, you want to buy another one, but what do you do? Do you buy contingent on you selling? That that has its negative. It Absolutely. has pros and cons. Yeah. yeah. The negative is seller may not like your offer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the positive is it's uh, the most affordable way. Right. Let's talk about probably the least affordable way, but but <laughs> right. but the surest one. Absolutely. And that is you go out and you buy a home first, then you sell it. Right. But so give us the pros, the cons, and the how-tos on that. Well, obviously, just like you said, that is the the most favorable way because what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the best position to be able to, at some point, submit an offer on another property that you really, really like. Um, And depending upon the dynamics of the market, it's the best way to do it. And when I say dynamics of the market, is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? If it's a seller's market or even neutral, uh, it's the best way to go about doing it. Now, not everybody has the cash, obviously, to be able to pull that through, nor nor do they um, have the buying power to be able to float both mortgages uh, during that period of time so that uh, so that they can transition to the property and it's not contingent upon selling. They have the cash. Um, they can float the boat as far as the mortgages are concerned. Um, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, you're a loan officer and a realtor, so... Mm-hmm qualifying yeah. How, what do they look for in that i mean i would think the underwriter is going to say wait a minute you're sitting here with an empty vacant home right right well the the easy way is that if you can afford both mortgages then you can afford both mortgages so they'll look at it and you've just got to cash flow everything just like you normally do uh if you if you don't own a property and uh you're purchasing something else mm-hmm. um and Okay, now I'm going to ask you this question because um, I remember somebody doing that about 12 years ago, 2007. Yeah. <laughs> so they bought first, and then they went to fix up their old house, Yeah. and it took them six, seven months to get it right. going. Right, And by that time, the market had turned downwards. Yeah. So... Yeah, if you were if you were if you were that person and holding onto a piece of real estate um, end of 2000, 2006, 
and trying to fix it up so that you could sell it middle of 2007, it may have been absolutely too late. And that's an extreme, extreme example. It really, really is. But man, there was a lot of people that lost a whole lot when the market started to, started its downturn in 2007. Yeah. And I, I'm going to back you up on that one. 2007 is an extreme example. Absolutely. Um, I've done this for 43 years and never seen anything like right. that before. Right. Um, that, but and I think here because I'm a baseball fan, yeah. I always say that real estate had a steroid era also, just yeah. like baseball, <laughs> right. and that would have been 2002 through 2006. Yeah. Absolutely, um, we were juiced up on steroids from all those toxic loans. Absolutely, um, but then we hit this sedated market, You're right? <laughs> of 2008, nine, ten, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that's where it was tough to get a loan. It was absolutely yeah. Uh, shoot, it was tough to for a home to get a loan. Absolutely. And what I mean by that, so many of the homes were foreclosures owned by banks yeah. who would only sell as is. Right. And the new lender would say, "Oh, buyers qualified, they can afford it, but that home needs all the broken windows fixed, right? Uh, right. All the uh, light fixtures put back in." And the banks would say, nope, not going to do it. Right. My wife and I were in contract. It's ironic that you bring that up. My wife and I were in contract on an REO property um, during that period of time. It was 2009. And uh, I took my wife says hey, we were coming home from eating dinner or lunch or something. And she says, hey, let's stop by the house again real quick. And so I was we were walking through the house and and I noticed that there was some insulation um, that was on the floor. Uh, by the master closet because that's where the attic access was or one of the attic access. And then I walked into the, I thought, okay, that's kind of odd. And so I walked into the backyard. <laughs> I I turned and, uh-oh, we got a problem. And somebody had stolen. The reason why there was insulation on the floor is that somebody had stolen the AC unit out on the uh, in the backyard that was just behind the master. And then somebody had actually stolen the heating element um, out of the uh, attic. And in speaking with the agent, the agent's like, and I said, well, uh, it's going to need it to qualify for financing. She says, no, they, they're not going to do anything. So we'll just have to find mm -hmm. somebody that's willing to uh, come up with, uh, you know, whatever, eight grand or six grand to replace what the guys had stolen. And hence, the, this is what drove values down. Yeah. The sellers, which were the banks in many cases, who wouldn't do something like that, right. ended up selling it for probably thirty, forty thousand dollars less yeah. to somebody who, to a contractor or, or somebody who would pay cash right, right. for that, and that drove the market. <coughs> excuse me, drove the market down. That's why Fannie Mae had such great success during that time because you would consistently see that um, they would come in. And that they would new carpet, new paint. It was very, very basic, um, you know, tan carpet and s tan paint on the walls. And they would list their properties, typically about 15% over what market was. Well, they had a Fannie Mae loan product that you could actually get that didn't require an appraisal, that you could secure financing on that property specifically for those properties, specifically for Fannie Mae REOs. So Fannie Mae did the best they could to try to stabilize the market without it actually getting all the way to the bottom. That's great. And, and, and that's why investors became the predominant buyer in, sure, let's right. say, 2010. Yep. Um, and, and so 
that's why today values are are ste- uh, they're rising. Mm-hmm. Values are, um, home prices are stable. Yeah. And it's because you have real sellers who will work with buyers. They'll fix things. If the heater breaks, they'll fix it. Right. Um, if the they get a good offer, but it's contingent on the sale of their home. Right. They'll work with it. Sure. Remember the banks that they, they as sellers <laughs> not so flexible. <laughs> oh no! I mean, it's like do not even submit a contingency offer. Right. 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 Oh gosh, I'm I'm glad those days are done <laughs> and over. Right. Right. That was hard. It, it was, but but you know what? We have great perspective because of it, Don. Uh, so it, it helps us to really appreciate the market that we're in right at the moment. I was just ironically last night on the way home and. Uh, Gerard did his, I heard Gerard Lozano's soundbite on 95.7 The Fox talking about market uh, dynamics right at the moment that uh, February to March, that March there was a a 3.4% increase in housing prices month over month reported through Fresno Association of Realtors. You know, it's bottom line is it's a good time to be in the business. It's a good time to be buying and selling real estate. It's interest rate environment is great. Um, they rates have settled back down again. Um, we had seen a bump, you know, slowly but surely an increase. And then now over the last 90 days, uh, possibly a little bit longer, we've seen rates settle back down to a little bit lower than where they were. So it's a great time. Earlier this week, I heard somebody say, this is the perfect storm right now. Yeah. Because you have the rates that are lower than they've been for a year. Yeah. Um, you have more more supply. So there are more sellers out mm-hmm. there than, let's say, a year ago. Absolutely. I mean, I would still call it a seller's market, but man, it, it's even close to a balanced market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Economists say that uh, two to three months inventory um, on a market would, would render it a balanced market. You know, and we're at, uh, you know, we're at just shy of three months of active inventory on the markets right at the moment. Okay, Craig, we got about one minute left, so I want to pick your brain again. <laughs> Give us your best real estate advice. Oh, man. Best real estate advice. Um, I I hate to oversimplify things, Don, but in today's market, the first and most important thing that you can do is get yourself pre-approved. Like we talked about earlier, getting pre-approved doesn't create the same type of chemicals in your brain that going and looking at homes does. Uh, but it is so, so foundationally important that you sit down with a lender, that you talk through things, you get yourself pre-approved, you understand uh, down payment, closing costs, prepays, that you understand what your payment is, um, and make sure that you bring those things into focus as far as purchase price and your monthly payment, and get that right out of the gate. All right. Well, Craig, I want to thank you very much for helping all our listeners, because as I picked your brain, Hopefully they got something out of it, too. Always my pleasure, Don. All right. Well, thank you to our listeners, and we will be back again next Saturday on Welcome Home Radio.